Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Brett Betfred Sports. I'm your host, Zach Kroll, and this is your podcast where we will be talking all things college basketball from now until the end of March Madness. You guys could subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcast. It would be really, really great. I would really appreciate it if you guys do that. It would just help grow this podcast and really grow the sport of college basketball. That's my goal here on this show, as we're going to be talking all things about, quite frankly, my favorite sport from now again until the end of March Madness. You guys could follow me on social media on Twitter at Zach, Z-A-C, Kroll, K-R-U-L-L, underscore, Z-A-C, K-R-U-L-L, underscore. I post a lot of things about the sport, a lot of my observations, a lot of the things that we will end up talking about on this podcast on my Twitter, and a little special schedule this week before we officially get started with today's show. Usually throughout the season, we are going to be having new episodes of this show on Mondays, on Wednesdays, and on Fridays. I I think as of now, what the plan is going to be, my guy Aaron Torres, the guy uh, who runs Aaron Torres Media, you guys know him, of course. He's joined me a few times before on the show. He's going to be coming on with me on Wednesdays, mostly throughout the season, but we are not going to be starting that until next week after the Champions Classic, just because the schedule on this opening night of college basketball wasn't ideal. That's actually going to be one of the talking points we will get into. So there will be new episodes of this show on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And last night was the opening night of college basketball. It was so great to just have the sport back. If you're bored, even if you're doing work, just to have a game on in the background. I know the selection of games to watch last night weren't ideal. And that's actually where we're going to start, right? And I totally understand that when it comes to scheduling, there are a ton of logistics that have to be worked out. We saw that up close with the COVID-19 pandemic and the amount of games that were canceled and postponed to our disappointment. But this is really the first year since the year the NCAA tournament got shut down in 2020 that COVID-19 and the pandemic and canceling games, that isn't really on anyone's radar. So there were over 120 games in the sport of college basketball last night. And as great as it was to have the sport back, I was so excited uh, seeing scores, just looking around, seeing how players I'm expecting big things from are doing this season. There just wasn't really that one big time marquee game to get into. It, there was over a hundred games on, on the opening night of college basketball, but there wasn't particularly one game I wanted to zone in and lock in on and watch from start to finish. Now, there was one game that I think stuck out from the rest that we're going to get into. But part of what makes the sport of college basketball so great is on a night like last night where you look at the schedule beforehand and there just aren't a ton of really good games. 
the results come out of nowhere and the storylines come out of nowhere. And even though the schedule on paper didn't look ideal last night, there were a ton of things that happened that I wanted to react to. And most notably, there were just a handful of teams that lost by games. And if you guys are on Twitter, you know John Rothstein. Of course, he covers college basketball for CBS Sports, probably the most well, well-known well college basketball a reporter and analyst out there. He has his marquee tweet of so-and-so loses a bye game to so-and-so, the epitome of brutality. And if I was a Power 5, Power 6 school, or really any other school that was hosting a bye game, that is just the one place where you do not want to be, especially to start the season. And they were just a handful of teams that – started their season last night in absolutely brutal fashion. And we are going to quickly react to a few of them. Uh, again, a loaded show here on College Hoops Daily. We're going to react to some of these bye games. There was one game in particular that I watched really most of from start to finish last night. I have a couple of things to say about that. And then before we get out of here, I actually, I actually will give you guys a brief rundown of other uh, games to watch this week some of the other big games on tap later in the week as we are here the first week of college basketball season there is nothing better so quickly it's time to get started and the first by game result I wanted to get into comes in the ACC where Leonard Hamilton his squad Florida State they fall to Stetson at home by a final score of 83 to 74 and this was a shocking one. Florida State came into this game as a 19-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, if you look at the projections in the Sun Belt Conference, Stetson was projected by most experts to finish in ninth place in the Sun Belt, or excuse me, in the Atlantic Sun. And that's a mid-major league. This is a game that Florida State should win more times than not. And it's interesting with Florida State, right? Leonard Hamilton had such a great run. He led the the Florida State Seminoles to four consecutive NCAA tournaments going back to 2017. And it would have been five if the big dance didn't get uh, postponed in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That year, a lot of people thought that Florida State was good enough to make it all the way to the final four. It would have been the first final four in the career of Leonard Hamilton with Devin Vassell and Trent Forrest, all those really good guards that went on uh, to play professionally. But Florida State, prior to last season, was one of the more consistent programs in not only the ACC, but all of college basketball. Leonard Hamilton was winning year after year after year. And last year, they missed the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2016, which wasn't a huge deal. They lost a ton of players uh, from that core group in uh, 2019 and 2020 and 2021. And even though they missed the NCAA tournament, they actually got blown out in their last game of the season in the ACC tournament against Syracuse. There were a lot of hope and expectations coming into the season for Florida State. You had a really, excuse me, good freshman class that burst onto the scene last year with Jalen Worley and Matthew Cleveland. And I totally understand it was a bummer for the Seminoles losing John Butler early to the NBA. He was a one and done. That was really a surprise to many. I don't think a lot of people necessarily expected him to go to the NBA right away, but he leaves. And then about a week ago, right before the start of the season, Florida state, one of their 
one of the guys that they were expecting to be a big piece, Baba Miller, a very athletic, dynamic freshman that was arguably going to be in the starting lineup for Florida State on opening night. He gets suspended by the NCAA for 16 games due to the fact that he went on a trip uh, to Spain and Florida State did pay for it. He did pay them back. That's just a lesson for all you guys. Never cooperate with the NCAA. You're still going to get punished. And that's exactly what happened to Baba Miller. And in this game, Florida State, they end up losing to Stetson 83-74. to Florida State was down by 7 at halftime. You look at Stetson, and they just had a really good game. A ton of different guys, a balanced scoring effort across the score sheet. But uh, Luke Brown drops 27 for Stetson. And when you look at this game from Florida State's perspective, it's concerning because losing a bye game to start the season when you have some expectations, but also last year didn't really go as planned for you, that's not ideal. And Florida State, they're not, they should be a great defensive team, but giving up 83 points to Stetson, letting Stetson shoot 48% from the field and 40% from three, that's not going to get it done. And when you look at the numbers for Florida State, uh, the backcourt of Caleb Mills and Matthew Cleveland should be one of the better backcourts in the country. Plus Jalen Worley, a, a young kid entering his second year in the Florida State program. He had eight points, uh, actually came off the bench as the sixth man in this one. I think Florida State is really going to need to get him going. But look, Leonard Hamilton, even though this is not a great start, he is a coach that I do trust. And Florida State was going to take a little bit of a step back after making deep run after deep run after deep run in the NCAA tournament, but losing to Stetson on opening night isn't an ideal start. You look at the rest of the schedule during Florida State's non-conference slate, they actually will go on the road to UCF on Friday night, and UCF, they lost at home uh, last night in double overtime to UNC Asheville, and interestingly enough, Florida State actually has a UCF transfer on their team who started last night in Darren Green Jr. He did not play well for the Seminoles. He was someone that was supposed to give them some instant offense. He only had eight points, shoots three of 11 from the field, two of seven from three. Florida State is just going to need more from him if they want to succeed this season. Also, we know that Leonard Hamilton traditionally has played this deep rotation. He usually has two or three big men he likes to go to at all times. And Naheem McLeod, who a lot of people were projecting as the primary big man for this Florida State team, especially without the services of Baba Miller, he only played 10 minutes in this game. So it's going to be interesting to see if Leonard Hamilton uses a smaller lineup. Cameron Corin, the 6'10 forward from Allen, Texas, also got a little bit of run for Florida State. But the Seminoles will be at UCF. They will host Florida and host Purdue before they start ACC play on December 3rd at Virginia. And again, I projected this Florida State team to finish in fourth place in the ACC right before the season started, only behind uh, North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia. But being the only ACC team to lose last night at home to Stetson just certainly is not an ideal start for Florida State. We go from the ACC to the Pac-12. And there are two results in the Pac-12 I wanted to talk about, two teams in the Pac-12 that lost by games. And one is pretty surprising, the other not so much. We'll start with the one 
that's not too surprising as Cal, they go down to UC Davis on opening night to lose their first game of the season. That uh, was a final score of uh, 75 to 65, excuse me, as I pull it up. UC Davis gets the win over Cal. Cal was only a four and a half point favorite, so not the most surprising result here. But this just isn't great for Mark Fox, and it's unfortunate because it wasn't that long ago where Cal was going to the NCAA tournament and also recruiting at a really high level, bringing in Jalen Brown when, uh, from high school, one of the best high school players in the country, Ivan Rapp. Those, it doesn't seem like that long ago where Cal basketball was at least relevant. But since 2018, Cal has been one of the least relevant programs in the Power Five, in the Pac-12, and unfortunately for the Golden Bears, it's not really getting better anytime soon as they lose on opening night to UC Davis. And when you look at this league, the Pac-12, we're going to get into the other disappointing result for them last night in a second, but it's results like this, Cal losing to UC Davis, which makes you question just how good this league really is. And there are some teams at the top. I'm expecting big things from UCLA this season. They look good in their opening uh, game last night. Oregon looked good. Arizona looked really good. But when you look at some of the other teams in the league that are supposed to be good, that are supposed to provide this league with depth, that were good in the past and not too long ago, like Cal, like Stanford, who actually looked decent last night. I'm really looking forward uh, to watching them this season. Washington, uh, Utah had a couple really good years when they first got to the Pac-12. Cal is in that conversation, but unfortunately, these teams have just not been able to move the needle for the Pac-12 conference, and I like Mark Fox. I think he could be a good coach probably at the mid-major level, but the bottom line is since he's gotten to Cal, he hasn't really got the job done, and I totally understand this is one of the more difficult jobs in all of college basketball, but unfortunately, Cal, they have not made the NCAA tournament since 2016. They really haven't come close to making it since. And they've been arguably the worst team in the power five over the course of the last four to five seasons. You look at the last few years for Cal. They only were able to win 12 games last year, nine games the year before in, uh, in 2020, they do win 14 games, but it's been a tough go around for Mark Fox. Uh, you look at the rest of Cal's schedule, it's not going to get any easier. They will host Kansas State on Friday, who looked pretty good. Jerome Tang squad getting the job done in his debut. That's an interesting game. But they'll host TCU before they start Pac-12 play against USC on Wednesday, November 30th. And speaking of USC, this is the other team in the Pac-12 I wanted to get into. I think this has a legitimate case for the most disappointing result of any team on opening night of college basketball as uh, USC, the Trojans, they fall uh, to Florida Gulf Coast. This is Andy Enfield's former team. If you remember, uh, Andy Enfield led the Florida Gulf Coast Eagles all the way to the Sweet 16 in 2013, Dunk City. They beat Georgetown, shocked them, number two seed in the opening round. They then beat San Diego State before their magical run came to an end against Florida. But Andy Enfield has done a really good job at USC over the past decade. This is actually his 10th year at USC. And USC, I will still say, they have become one of the more underrated programs in all of college basketball, considering they have just sent a ton of pros to the NBA, 
Evan Mobley, Kevin Porter, Shemezi Metu, Jordan McLaughlin. These guys are coming, and there's going to be more. And I was expecting big things from this USC team. I actually ranked them uh, going into the season. They were my number 24 team. And even in the big picture of the Pac-12, I thought they would be right there with Oregon, right there with Arizona. And I still trust Andy Enfield. I actually don't think he gets enough credit for how good of a job he's done over the last few years. But USC got thoroughly embarrassed in this game by Florida Gulf Coast. After the Trojans were up by one at halftime, Florida Gulf Coast outscores them 45-31. to In the second half, Florida Gulf Coast shoots 38% from the field to get the job done. USC in this game also shoots three of 19 from three. And as soon as you see that for the Trojans, that's a non-starter because, look, I totally understand this USC Trojans team. They have some question marks, right? Similar to Florida State, USC has made the NCAA tournament consistently over the course of the last few years. They make the Elite Eight two years ago with Evan Mobley and that great team. Last year, they made the NCAA tournament. Uh, You know, Andy Enfield has just done a great job with this program, a USC program that was in pretty bad shape when he got there. But this year's team, they were expecting big things from their uh, big-time five-star freshman, Victor Iwachuku, and unfortunately, it's not very likely that he's going to be playing this season uh, due to a heart condition, and we do hope he gets better as soon as possible. But the thing that was going to win games for this USC team was their guard play. I thought USC had one of the more, one of the best backcourts, quite frankly, in all of college basketball between Boogie Ellis, the transfer from Memphis. He's entering his second year in the USC program. You also have Drew Peterson, who could win Pac-12 Player of the Year this year. He was one of the better players, one of the better peer scorers in the league this past year. And also Reese and Waters, a young player that looked really good at times uh, in limited opportunities last year. And I did think with more of an opportunity this year without Isaiah Mobley, without Chavez Goodwin, uh, maybe he could get going a little bit. Unfortunately, he only had five points in 19 minutes for the Trojans last night. And it's just not an ideal game boogie ellis was the only trojan to score in double figures when drew peterson only gives you seven points on two of six shooting from the field and three of seven from the free throw line that's not going to get it done for this usc team and when you lose these buy games right losing one especially on opening night i get it it feels like the end of the world it's not ideal at all and you're gonna have to recover from it especially again For the Pac-12, when you compare the Pac-12 to some of the other conferences in all of college basketball and how they did in one night, and keep in mind, I thought the Pac-12 was going to be a little bit improved going into the season. I didn't expect this Pac-12 to be as bad as it's been in years past, considering you have Oregon and Arizona and UCLA at the top, but USC losing the game like this, just for comparison, opening night records by conference. The ACC, 12 and 1. The Big 10, 13 and 0. The Big 12, 9 and 1. The Big East, 8 and 0. The SEC, 11 and 1. But of course, the Pac-12 on just night one loses two bye games. They go 10 and 2. I feel bad because I don't think these fans deserve for this conference to be taken apart. It's going to be really weird. In a few years when UCLA and USC leave for the Big Ten, I don't really know anyone that's a fan 
<clears throat> that's a college sports fan, excuse me, as I choke here for a sec, that really wants that. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, <clears throat> USC has to be better losing at home, <laughs> at home, excuse me, on opening night to Florida, to Florida Gulf Coast is not ideal. Sorry about that as I recover from choking there for a second. But, yeah, just not a good job by USC, not a good job by Cal on the opening night of the college basketball season. Now, the other result that really surprised me as we take a look at some of the teams that lost by games last night was Oklahoma. Now, I had Oklahoma ranked in my top 25 as the number 25 team in the country, and not a lot of people agreed with me. Not a lot of people uh, I saw that had Oklahoma ranked in the top 25. And the reason why I ranked these guys, number one, I'm a huge fan of Porter Moser. He brought Loyola Chicago to the final four in 2018. He then again brings them all the way to a second weekend, the sweet 16 the following year in uh 20 or not the following year, a few years later in 2021, when they shocked the number one seed, Illinois fighting Illini, they moved on to the Sweet 16. And really last year, in his first year in Norman, I thought Porter Mosier did a pretty good job considering, yeah, Oklahoma, they didn't make the big dance, but they knocked Baylor out of the Big 12 tournament. That's the defending national champions. They were still competing for a one seed at the time. And going into this year, Oklahoma added, in my opinion, one of the better, more dynamic transfers out there in Grand Sherfield. They also brought back two key members of their front court in Tanner Groves and Jalen Hill. But unfortunately, Oklahoma's season gets off to a very disappointing start as they were the only team in the Big 12 to lose last night. They go down on a buzzer beater to Sam Houston State, 52-51. to Oklahoma was up seven points at the end of the first half, but unfortunately could not close out Sam Houston State. Uh, Oklahoma only shoots 37% from the field, but weirdly enough, Sam Houston State, they shoot 33% from the field and still end up finding a way to win. And for this Oklahoma team, look, it's not a great start, obviously. When you lose a bye game like this, it's hard to recover from, especially early. But luckily, when you play in a conference like the Big 12, and you can't say this about the Pac-12, you're going to have some opportunities to get some quality wins. It's really why... Some teams in the SEC, some teams in the Big Ten, they haven't really been scheduling as aggressively compared to years past during their non-conference schedule just because they know that they have plenty of opportunities to collect those quality wins uh, in the conference slate. So there's no point in just challenging yourself early, and that doesn't matter. That goes out the window when you don't show up for a bye game, and that's exactly what happened to Oklahoma. They will be back in action on Friday against Arkansas Pine Bluff, and this is actually a good segue into another team in the Big 12, another team that I still don't know, don't know how. They almost lost last night. TCU, they were taking on Arkansas Pine Bluff, and to give you guys a little bit of context on this TCU team, this is a team that had some heavy heavy expectations going into the season, but not not only by me, but many others, right? TCU, they had a really nice season last year making the NCAA tournament. They blew out a good Seton Hall team in the first round of the big dance before they went toe-to-toe 
late into the game, late in overtime with Arizona. And if a couple of things just went their way here and there, a bad call, Ben Matherin chucks up a three uh, basically at the buzzer to send the game into overtime. TCU was very close to beating Arizona and being a Sweet 16 team last year. And then going into this year, they return just about everyone. Keep in mind, Kansas, the defending national champions, they lose just about everyone, at least their main contributors from last year's squad. Baylor loses a lot. So there were many people that were expecting big things from TCU. Our guy, Aaron Torres, he actually picked the Horn Frogs to go all the way to the Final Four. But all of a sudden, last night, they're playing Arkansas Pine Bluff as a 34-and-a-half-point favorite at home. And Arkansas Pine Bluff dominated the first half. They were up by 11, and really, if you watch the game, it should have been more. TCU was awful in the first half. And for the game, they shoot a pitiful 4 of 21 from 3. However, luckily, one of the three-point shots they made came in the final minute when they were down by two by their star player, their star guard, Mike Miles, who I think is going to be in the conversation for National Player of the Year. I know there are a ton of really good returning big men across all college basketball with Hunter Dickinson and Armando Baycott and Shibwe and Drew Timmy, Trace Jackson Davis. There are so many good bigs, but in terms of Player of the Year, a lot of times it's the guards that end up winning that award. And I think Mike Miles is going to find himself in that conversation before the season ends. He bailed out TCU last night, getting the victory. And it doesn't matter how you do it. uh, You just got to get the win. And I know that wasn't an ideal start to the season for TCU. They're going to be back in action on Friday against Lamar. They still have a couple bye games before they will take on Cal and Providence during their non-conference portion of the schedule. But TCU is a team that falls into that category, like I just mentioned, as a team in the Big 12 that's going to have plenty of opportunities for quality wins to move the needle. By the time uh, we get to Selection Sunday, when you play in the Big 12, you're going to be playing Kansas. You're going to be playing Baylor and Texas Tech and Texas. Plenty of opportunities for quality wins there. TCU avoided disaster. And I'm telling you guys, If TCU would have lost that game last night, it would have been one of the more surprising results during non-conference play I've seen recently, especially to start the season, considering just how high expectations were for this Horned Frog team going in. But they escaped disaster. I think a lot of times, and you realize this with the more games you watch in college basketball, if you could just survive the bye game, especially when you don't play your best you're going to feel pretty good about it. And it's going to be interesting to see how these teams survive going forward, how they do as time goes on after losing these bye games. Just a brutal night for the Pac-12. If you're USC and you have some expectations, you should be pretty good going into this season. You cannot lose on opening night at home to Florida Gulf Coast, Andy Enfield's former team. That just can't happen. And USC, they're going to be playing with Kansas and Tennessee and Dayton pretty soon in the battle for Atlantis. And when your team just lays a massive egg like that on opening night at home, that's not ideal. Quickly, before we move on, one other uh, result I'll hit on. Temple, a team that some people labeled as a sleeper in the American Athletic Conference. Aaron McKee has been there a couple years now. They returned both their leading scores from last year. Keep in mind also the American Athletic Conference 
isn't as good as it's been in years past. So there were some people expecting some things from Temple, but they go down in overtime to Wagner losing uh, by a final score of, excuse me, losing by a final score of 60, uh, 76 to 73 in overtime. Uh, not a good start to the season for Temple besides Houston. The American Athletic Conference is just not looking great these days. But that'll do it for the first segment of today's show. A ton of teams just take brutal losses in bye games. That is not the way you want to start your season. And it was really, on paper, not a great first slate of college basketball games. There were over 100 games on. There weren't really any games until later in the night, especially early, that there weren't. There wasn't a game I just wanted to turn on and watch, and that's a problem. Hopefully next year that opening night schedule will be a little better. And I totally understand you couldn't open the season with the Champions Classic on election day. There aren't many games on Tuesday night, but still on the opening night of college basketball, it shouldn't be difficult for a fan to just turn a game on that they really want to watch. Moving on to the next segment of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. There was one game yesterday that I was really looking forward to watching, uh, really since we've gotten the schedule, since we've gotten pretty close to the start of college basketball season. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to both Penny Hardaway and Jerry Stackhouse. I think Bruce Pearl would be the other guy you could throw into this category as really the only coaches in the power five, power six. I know Memphis technically isn't in that group, but they are profiled like a power six team. Penny Hardaway is one of the most popular polarizing coaches in the sport. So I wanted to give a shout out to those guys for having their teams have legitimate tests on the opening night of the college basketball season. And usually like that doesn't sound like a huge deal, but again, there just weren't a ton of teams that decided to challenge themselves on the opening night of the college basketball season. And I understand your team is going to be sloppy. They're probably not going to be at their best on opening night, but I give those guys credit for not being afraid of any challenge and immediately right out of the gate, uh, challenging their team. Auburn took on George Mason, the uh, Pate Colonials are, or excuse me, the Patriots got my nicknames between George Washington and George Mason uh, confused there. But yes, the Patriots, they're projected to be a top half team in the Atlantic 10. They have some SEC transfers on their team in uh, Victor Bailey and Devante Gaines. Uh, their head coach, Kim English, is a former assistant on Rick Barnes' staff. So he's very familiar with the SEC and Auburn got the big win 70 to 52 over George Mason last night uh, behind 16 points from Wendell Green on a pretty, uh not, not so efficient, actually, when you look at the stat line, five of 14 from the field for Wendell Green, but hopefully his efficiency can improve a nice win for Auburn and Bruce Pearl last night. They started the season ranked 15th in the AP poll, and they will have a couple of more uh, easier games until they take on St. Louis on November 27th. So good job by Auburn. But the game that I was looking forward to yesterday, the game that I wanted to see most, that was actually also in the SEC, in an SEC venue as Vanderbilt, they hosted Memphis. And this was a pretty interesting game for a few reasons, right? Number one, 
Memphis and Penny Hardaway have been one of the more, again, I'll say it, polarizing, popular, fun teams to follow in college basketball since Penny Hardaway took the Memphis job. This is now somehow his fifth season in charge at Memphis after he brought the Tigers to the NCAA tournament last year for the first time uh, under his watch. They also were able to win an NCAA tournament game last year. They were very competitive with Gonzaga in the round of 32. And after what was really a disappointing season for the most part in that second half during conference play, when Imani Bates really didn't have that big of a role, that's when Memphis really started playing at their best. And if you look at Kempom, if you look at some of the other advanced numbers in the second half of last season, Memphis was one of the 10 or 15 best teams in all of college basketball. And they had the talent. Penny Hardaway, I'll give him his credit. He got them to buy in. They had a couple big time wins against Houston. They actually swept Houston in the regular season. Keep in mind, this is the same Houston team that made it all the way to the Elite Eight, and they won the American Athletic Conference title. They won, or they made it to the Final Four the year before. So Memphis, they really had a nice season last year. They recovered nicely after a slow start. They were taking on Vanderbilt, who, look, Vanderbilt has not been very good over the course of the last four or five years, they've really been known to be that one constant team in the bottom of the SEC. And it's crazy because during that span, like when Vandy has really started to decline, the SEC as a conference has actually improved and has gotten much better. So I actually went into this game knowing Vanderbilt needed this one bad. And again, like Vanderbilt, it's tough to judge them because they – are in another year of the Jerry Stackhouse era. Vanderbilt is not an easy job in college basketball. In the SEC, academics are obviously a huge factor there, so you're not going to be able to get every guy you want to recruit into school, into the basketball program. But still, Vanderbilt has Miles Studi, who was the leading uh, returning three-point shooter in the SEC going into this season. He made a couple shots last night, nothing major, uh, they do return Liam Robbins, who uh, was a transfer from Minnesota. Uh, you know, this Vanderbilt team, Jordan Wright, uh, one of the better players uh, Vandy's had over the course of the last few years. This Vandy team, I, I'm not, I, no one picked them to make the NCAA tournament or anything. But considering Memphis also, they lost a ton of talent from last year's team. I was excited for this game, and I actually gave Vanderbilt a legit chance to win. Unfortunately, from very early on, Yeah, it was clear that Memphis was the better team. Memphis ended up getting the 76-67 victory behind 17 points from DeAndre Williams. Kendrick Davis, the SMU transfer, uh, he was considered to be one of the better transfer portal additions in all of college basketball. He has 16 points, does the SMU transfer. Alex Lomax for Memphis also has a double-double, 10 points and 10 rebounds in the victory. And a couple thoughts for both teams after this game. And I'll start with Memphis, right? Memphis has had a lot of hype and expectations going into the last few seasons because Penny Hardaway has showed that on the recruiting trail, bringing in Jalen Duran, currently playing in the NBA. Amani Bates was a consensus top five recruit. They had Boogie Ellis. They had Lester Quinones and Landers Nolly and just all of these really good high profile players. And They did have their moments, especially last year. I was really impressed with how Penny Hardaway was able to 
have his team just convinced, locked in, ready to go at all times, not afraid of any distractions. And again, it was after Amani Bates uh, was away from the court. He left the program and he did come back. But Memphis really was playing some really good basketball in the back end of last season. And that continued going into this season. And they do have Kendrick Davis, right? A guy who was one of the best players in the American Athletic Conference last year. He actually started his college career at TCU. So he's played in the biggest games possible against the best competition. DeAndre Williams is also 26 years old. He's playing his sixth year of college basketball. And listen to this stat, right? When you look at DeAndre Williams at Memphis, the Tigers are 36-12 and 12 overall with DeAndre Williams in the lineup in his college career. And in the games where he has not been in the lineup, they're 7-7. Seven and seven. So he is a major X factor for this Tiger team. And I was disappointed going into the season with the amount of talent that Memphis lost, the amount of guys that are not back. Memphis loses Jalen Duran to the NBA, obviously. That wasn't really a surprise. But they also lose Landers Nolly, right? They also lose Josh Minot, who I thought if he would have been back in school this year, had the potential to be an absolute star for this Memphis team, right? They lose Tyler Harris. They lose Amani Bates. They lose a lot of the players from last year's team that got the job done for them. But they did return DeAndre Williams, who was a consistent scorer. They bring in Kendrick Davis, and then they bring back some guys uh, from that team, the veterans, right? Alex Lomax, Malcolm Dandridge. These guys have literally been playing for Penny Hardaway since they've been in high school. And now they're in their fourth and fifth years of college and they're good experienced players. You know, I, I, when you look at Memphis's personnel, unlike years past, you're not going to see the flashiness. You're not going to see the star power, but Alex Lomax, 10 points and 10 rebounds on opening night. Keep in mind, Alex Lomax, he's the smaller point guard. He's only standing at, at a height of six feet tall and he gets 10 rebounds. That's toughness right there. I was also impressed with Elijah McCadden. He gave Memphis a good 23 minutes off the bench. He's a transfer from Fairleigh Dickinson. You know, Memphis, they're usually bringing in the best transfers, the former top 50, top 40 recruits that didn't work out at their previous school. But the kid they decide to bring in from Fairleigh Dickinson is getting the job done for them. And I'll say this about Penny Hardaway. I know he gets a lot of flack for the what has happened over the course of the last few years. Memphis has sent a ton of players to the NBA with Precious Achua and James Wiseman and now Jalen Duran. But I have to give the guy credit. It's not easy to produce three first-round NBA lottery picks in the draft in a span of three seasons. And as time has gone on, the results on the basketball floor for Memphis have gotten much better. You know, Memphis ran a pretty good Alabama team out of the gym during their non-conference slate last year. And that was after they had some embarrassingly bad losses to bad SEC teams. They lose to Georgia last year. They lose to Ole Miss last year. And the fact now that Memphis was able to open up their season on the road at Vanderbilt, a team that isn't expected to do big things in the SEC this year, but they should be improved. They usually finish in 13th or 14th. I think they'll be better than that. Vanderbilt won some games last year that not a lot of people expected them to. And really from the beginning of the game last night, Memphis set the tone and dominated. And I do think that having 
more clear-cut roles, right? Kendrick Davis is going to be the guy with the ball in his hands at all times. DeAndre Williams is going to be a guy that consistently will score in the post. And if you need him to make a three-pointer here and there, he'll be able to do that as well. Lomax, Dandridge, McCadden, even uh, Keontae Kennedy, the former Vanderbilt commit, he gave Memphis some solid minutes. Jaden Hardaway, Penny's son, who, quite frankly, I was a little confused why or how he even got on the floor over the course of the last few years, but he even had a stretch a sequence yesterday where he was making some clutch plays. So everyone contributed for Memphis last night. That's the way uh, you want to play to open up your season. A really impressive team win for the Tigers. And their next game is going to be a challenge. They will be going on the road to St. Louis. The Bilkins are a team that some people project to finish in the top 25. They have some high major talent on that team. Does Travis Ford with Yuri Collins. One of the, probably, yeah, the best passer in all of college basketball. He had 14 assists in the Bilkins opening night win last night. Javante Perkins, the former Atlantic 10 player of the year. He's also now back, or preseason player of the year, I should say, going into last year. He is now back for the Bilkins. Uh, Travis Ford has a lot of talent on this team. They actually played Memphis at Memphis last year. The Tigers got the edge there. I'm really looking forward to seeing the Tigers and the Bilkins go out of that game will be next Tuesday, the 15th, Memphis at St. Louis. From the Vanderbilt perspective, I'm not going to lie, this game was pretty disappointing. They had some flashes here and there. I liked what they got uh, from Tyron Lawrence. He was pretty impressive, and he was inconsistent at times last year. Didn't really have a major role. He only averaged 3.5 points, 2.4 rebounds per game. Uh, with uh, in, in 28 games played last year, Tyron Lawrence, he was Vanderbilt's leading scorer. But look, I understand Vanderbilt lost Scottie Pippen Jr. to the NBA, and if he would have returned to school, maybe this Vanderbilt's team would have had more realistic aspirations for winning. But again, I don't think this team is that bad. Miles Studi is one of the best shooters in all of college basketball. Jordan Wright is a legit scorer. Malora Brown could give you some good minutes down low. I'm a big Lee and Robbins fan. Ansong gave them some good minutes in this game. Trey Thomas is a capable shooter, but Jerry Stackhouse, I know he gets a lot of praise and he is a high level intelligent guy from everywhere I've heard. But unfortunately, and I know the job is tough, the winning has just not been there for, for Vanderbilt at all since he took over. And I know that a lot of people wanted Vanderbilt to make the move and get rid of Bryce Drew at the time they did when he went 0-18 in SEC play a few years ago, and that gave Vanderbilt the opportunity to bring in Jerry Stackhouse, who did some really good work in the NBA G League, but in his three-year career at Vanderbilt following the game last night, this is now the start of his fourth season, Vanderbilt is now 39-55 and in the Jerry Stackhouse era. And in the SEC... They've, they're 13 and 39. That's not getting the job done. I understand that Vanderbilt is a tough job. It's one of the hardest jobs in the power six, but Vanderbilt has talent. Again, Miles Studi, he's really good, but only playing 24 minutes and he had 12 points. He made four threes, but I would like to see Vanderbilt run more things for him. I understand that there are certain coaches that love to take advantage of their depth. Vanderbilt played, I'll say it, 13 guys at least three minutes last night. And they played 10 guys 
in at least double digit minutes last night. And I like and respect when coaches take advantage of their depth, but I just don't think the top premier players for Vanderbilt got enough run and just a really disappointing start to the season for Vanderbilt. They cut the game to eight late in the second half, but Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams, they just said, nah, we are not going to let Memphis lose this game. And looking at Vanderbilt's schedule, they're actually going to go on the road to Temple on Tuesday. Again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Temple was a team that was expecting some pretty big things this season. They were projected to finish in fifth place in the American Athletic Conference going in. That is not going to be an easy game for Vanderbilt to win at all. They will also host St. Mary's and go to VCU and host Pitt before they start ACs or SEC play as they will also go to NC State. So Vanderbilt has some tough road games, right? At NC State, they will go to VCU. They will go to Temple. And after watching them last night, I'm just not sure how confident you could be in them getting those wins. But shout out to Penny Hardaway. Shout out to Memphis. I know the guy gets a ton of hate because the results haven't necessarily been there over the course of the last few years, considering the talent and the expectations that he's brought to the Memphis Tiger program. But it is much better than you would think because Memphis comes away with the big win last night. They also made it to the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament last year. If it wasn't for Drew Timmy having the second half of his life and some help from the officials, I actually think Memphis could have made it to the Sweet 16 last year and could have made a deeper tournament run than they actually did. So keep an eye out for Penny Hardaway and the Tigers. A really impressive effort last night in really the only marquee game. And the fact that I even have to call this a marquee game considering Vanderbilt, the team that has been consistently the worst team in the SEC over the course of the past few seasons. Like that was the game we were all really looking forward to watching last night. The college basketball schedule is going to improve as time goes on, but just not a great opening night slate. And that's okay. There's nothing we could do, but I am looking forward to watching both Memphis and I, I can't believe I'll say it. Vanderbilt also, they're an interesting team, although they got off to a disappointing start last night. Shout out to Penny Hardaway. Shout out to Memphis for getting the job done. Okay, moving on to the last and final segment of today's episode of College Hoops Daily, presented by Betfred Sports. I will give you guys a little bit of a guide in terms of the games that you're going to want to watch this weekend. And I'll say it again. It's super unfortunate. It's super frustrating how... We've been waiting so long for the start of the college basketball season, all off season. We've spoke so much, breaking down, previewing just about every team. And then all of a sudden the season gets here. There are a ton of games on all over your television, but unfortunately there aren't many games where you just want to take some time out of your day, sit down and lock into from start to finish. And unfortunately we're really not going to get a ton of great games to watch Over the course of the next few days, it really isn't until Friday where things really start to heat up. And I get it from the coaching perspective, right? You want your team to play easier competition early so they don't mess up. And it takes your, it's going to take your team a little bit of time to adjust and to get used to playing with each other. It's just such a bummer from a fan's perspective, considering over the course of the last few years. We've really gotten used to watching the Champions Classic on opening night. And this year, it wasn't on opening night because of election day. Season usually starts up on that Tuesday. 
and the Champions Classic will be next Tuesday uh, with Election Day. But I'm going to give you guys some games to watch. There aren't a ton of great games on Tuesday, on Wednesday, following the pretty weak slate uh, on Monday to kick off the start of the college basketball season. But, yeah, I mean, looking at the schedule, there just isn't a ton here, not a ton of great action on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. But, luckily, things do start to heat up on Friday night. We'll start off 6.30 Eastern time, Friday night, ESPN. You have Gonzaga, the number two team in the country right now. They had a nice blowout, 40-point victory over North Florida last night. They will be taking on Michigan State, who also starts – 1-0 1-0 following their 18-point victory over Northern Arizona. And I'll say this about this game. I think Michigan State's going to be competitive. I'm higher on Tom Izzo's team than most. And I understand Izzo got a lot of flack this offseason for not really being interested in the transfer portal, right? Michigan State were one of the only teams in college basketball not to add a transfer, definitely at the power six level, but they do return a ton of pieces from last year's team, right? Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, uh, Tyson Walker, AJ Hogard. These guys are experienced players. Hauser, who struggled at times last season, we've seen what he could do throughout his college career, especially during the early days of it at Marquette. He had 18 points and 10 uh, rebounds last night for Michigan State, made a couple threes. That's good to see. Pierre Brooks is a freshman I really like. He contributed nicely for the Spartans last night as their sixth man, having 16 points or 14 points off the bench, I should say. And one other key for Michigan State, right? One of the main reasons why I was higher on the Spartans going into the season was the breakout potential of sophomore Jaden Akins, and he was banged up over – uh, the summer with uh, some injuries and he played last night and after it wasn't really known how long he was going to be out for uh, following this injury he is now back on the floor and when he's out there he's part of the reason why I'm pretty high on this Michigan State team he showed some flashes of greatness last year at times giving Michigan State just instant offense and he is recovering uh, from foot surgery for a a stress reaction that happened in middle September. And just about seven or eight weeks later, he's back on the basketball floor. Once he gets healthy with the experienced point guards, I am actually higher on this Michigan state team compared to most, even though their schedule is also absurd. Listen to the schedule, by the way, for Michigan state uh, from now until the start of big 10 play, they will take on Gonzaga on a neutral in San Diego. That game is going to be on an aircraft carrier, which would be pretty cool. Uh, It's been a while where since we've had one of these aircraft carrier games in college basketball, I'm really looking forward to that. They'll then take on Kentucky in the Champions Classic. They'll host Villanova in the Gavit games. And then in PK-80, or yeah, or I'm sorry, that Villanova game will actually be at the PK, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was right. It was at, it's at the Breslin Center at the Gavit games. And then Michigan State will host Alabama, or that game is on a neutral as well, actually. In the PK-85, they will go to Notre Dame in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. There are just a ton of difficult games on the non-conference schedule for Michigan State. It even confused me. But Tom Izzo, he's having his teams play the best competition. He's not afraid of anyone. And while Michigan State is probably going to take some losses along the way, uh, I I respect that, being aggressive and seeing just what you have with your team early. 
From Gonzaga's perspective, I'm a little bit down on the Zags compared to most. This Michigan State game is still a game they should win. But honestly, around Drew Timmy, I'm just not as sold on the pieces for Gonzaga yet. I need to see more. Nolan Hickman is the one name that comes to mind. He didn't really do much as a freshman last year, but now he's going to be this team's starting point guard. He played 22 minutes last night, had six points, two rebounds, and five assists, shooting three of four from the field in Gonzaga's 40-plus point victory over North Florida. That Michigan State game is going to be pretty interesting. Gonzaga and Mark Few, they're another team I would put into that category that really is not afraid of playing anyone during the non-conference portion of their schedule. But at the same time, that's early in the season. And when you're playing a WCC schedule that you've been used to during January and February and March leading up to the NCAA tournament, I do believe, and we got into this a little bit uh, during last uh, week's show, talking about the reports about Gonzaga and the possibilities of them maybe going to the Big 12 at some point in the near future. That schedule for Gonzaga, I believe, leading up to the NCAA tournament has cost them uh, in the big dance. They haven't been able to get the job done, but they always play a loaded non-conference schedule. They will be going to Texas. They will be playing Baylor on a neutral. They will be playing Kentucky at home, which is going to be a big game. Uh, Always a big-time non-conference schedule for Gonzaga. And they'll also go to Alabama, too, in the return of that series from last year. That should be a good one. But Gonzaga at Michigan State on Friday night. Looking forward to that. You also have Villanova at Temple. Rivalry game, Villanova did handle LaSalle and Kyle Neptune's head coaching debut, so congratulations to him on earning his first win at Villanova. I'll be looking forward to that one. You also have, how about this? Talk about the setting for a game. Miller Park, the stadium of the Milwaukee Brewers, will be hosting Stanford and Wisconsin on Friday night at 7.30, Fox Sports 1. And this is actually a really interesting game to me, right? Wisconsin is Wisconsin. I know they lose Johnny Davis, a lottery pick in the NBA draft, who was honestly one of the better players in all of college basketball last season, if we're being honest. They also lose Brad Davison, a guy who was at the Wisconsin basketball program forever, the heart and soul of their program. And this is going to be the first time Wisconsin plays a game without Brad Davison on their roster since 2017. It's been a long time coming for him. So he's now uh, off the Wisconsin roster. He's moved on, but they do bring back some nice pieces, right? Chucky, Chucky Hepburn, one of the biggest surprises in all of college basketball last season, he burst onto the scene as a consistent, reliable starting point guard option for Greg Gard. I think he's one of the more underrated returning players in the Big Ten. He'll be back. Another guy I would put into this category is Tyler Wall for Wisconsin. I'm expecting big things from him with more of an opportunity without Davis. Wall played real well last night for Wisconsin in their season opening win over South Dakota. He had 19 points and 10 rebounds in 27 minutes. So I like this Wisconsin team. I actually think they're a sweeper in the Big Ten, and they're just a team not a lot of people pay attention to, especially after they lose some stars. But Greg Gard, he's a pretty good head coach. He'll always have his team consistently in the mix. And they'll be taking on Stanford. And I did watch a little bit of Stanford's game. It was in the afternoon yesterday. They earned a 88-78 win over Pacific. It should be noted that Spencer Jones, a guy that they're expecting big things from this season, he did not play in this game. 
with a lower body injury. It's going to be interesting to see if he will be available for that game on Friday against Wisconsin. And Stanford is just such an interesting team because honestly, like similar to Vanderbilt, but not as bad. They have been really disappointing. The Stanford team has not made the NCAA tournament since 2014. You remember when Stanford knocked out Andrew Wiggins and Kansas when Joel Embiid uh, was injured and couldn't play in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament? Yeah, that's the last time Stanford made the NCAA tournament. Jared Haas is now in his sixth uh, season on the farm, and still he's looking to bring Stanford to their first tournament under his watch. And if he is ever going to do it, this is the year to do so. They do return Harrison Ingram, one of the better players in the Pac-12 after a really good freshman season. He had the option of coming to the NBA. And how about this? Davidson transfer Mike Jones. And keep in mind, this is the first transfer that Stanford basketball has taken since 2008. We just spoke a little bit about Michigan State, right? And the fact that Tom Izzo got a lot of heat for not using the transfer portal to his advantage this past offseason, not really trying to use the transfer portal to his advantage. Stanford hasn't had a transfer come into their program since 2008, but Mike Jones from Davidson drops 31 points on a very efficient 9 of 15 from the field. He shoots 3 of 8 from 3 and uh, 10 of 12 from the free throw line to lead Stanford to the victory over Wisconsin. Ingram only had seven points. Brandon Angel was pretty impressive in his 24 minutes of play. I'm really excited for this game because Wisconsin playing in their home state, they'll have the crowd behind them. And usually this is a game Wisconsin just finds a way to win. But I'm curious to know just how good the Stanford team is. Hopefully Spencer Jones will be there. But the next two games for Stanford will be at Wisconsin and then hosting San Diego State, a San Diego State team that is currently ranked number 19 in the AP poll. Personally, I think they're they're better than that. I would have ranked them higher. They looked really impressive in their season opening victory against Cal State Fullerton last night, uh, Tuesday night, one week uh, from right now when we're recording. It will be San Diego State at Stanford. That is going to be a heck of a game. I'm really looking forward to that. Excuse me, to that one, Stanford and San Diego State. In terms of the other games to watch for on Friday, we'll keep it with San Diego State, actually. They're a team I'm really high on. I think they're one of the 15 best teams in the country. And following the injury to Wyoming's Graham Ike, I think San Diego State is now clearly the best team and the team to beat in the Mountain West. They will be taking on BYU at home on Friday night. That should be a very interesting game. BYU will be joining the Big 12 pretty soon, and they were lucky to escape last night with only a four-point victory over Idaho State. That's not a great way to start your season. Uh, The youngster Fusini Traore starting his second season at BYU. He was their leading scorer with 15 points and 11 rebounds. Keep in mind, this is a BYU team that does lose a lot from last year's squad, including Alex Borsello, including Tejon Lucas. Uh, Gideon George is the main contributor who's back. He had 10 points and 8 rebounds. That should be a game San Diego State takes, but I'm really looking forward to watching a very good Aztec team up close and personal against some legitimate competition. In terms of the other games to watch on Friday night, you have Georgia at Wake Forest. Wake Forest looked pretty decent in their opening 
night victory last night over Fairfield. They lose a lot from last year's team, but I'm just a big fan of Steve Forbes. He will always find a way to get it done and to win ball games. Uh, Wake Forest should have the edge over Georgia in Mike White's first season in Athens. And another game that's very interesting to me on Friday night. How about this? Michigan, they are a team I am not too high on compared to the consensus. I don't love the fact that they lose just so much production from last year's team. They lose Diabate to the NBA. They lose Caleb Houston to the NBA. They also lose Eli Brooks, who was a very underrated, uh, was vital to Michigan's run all the way to the Sweet 16 last year. They also lose uh, point guard Devontae Jones. But Michigan did look really impressive last night, albeit it was against Purdue-Fort Wayne. They will be taking on Eastern Michigan on a neutral floor at Little Caesars Arena. And you say, Zach, why is this a big deal? Eastern Michigan, they're just a random match school, right? Usually that's the case, but Eastern Michigan did bring in Memphis transfer Imani Bates, who at one point in his basketball career was labeled as the chosen one. The next Kevin Durant on the co- on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and unfortunately uh, for him, it didn't work out great last year at Memphis, but he is now on Eastern Michigan, really looking forward to watching that game on Friday night against Michigan, just seeing Amani against some legitimate competition. Not a ton of great action on Saturday uh, to look forward to, but Friday night we do have a decent slate, that Michigan State-Gonzaga game, Stanford-Wisconsin, Michigan-Eastern Michigan. That should that should be some pretty good basketball I'm really looking forward to watching. On Saturday, not a ton. You will have Shaheen Holloway and Seton Hall taking on his former team, the team that he led somehow, some way, all the way to the Elite Eight last year in St. Peter's. They will be taking on Seton Hall on Saturday. Should be a good one there. And then on Sunday, I know most of us will be locked into the NFL during this one, but Tennessee, a team that is currently ranked 11th in the AP poll, I think they're even better than that. I think they are absolutely a contender to win the SEC and to make the Final Four. They had a slow start last night against Tennessee Tech. They were only up 27-16 to at halftime, but the Vols did uh, blow them away in the second half, outscoring them 48-27 to to get the 75-43 to victory over Tennessee Tech. In that one, the Indiana State transfer, Tyree Key, he had 17 points. Zakai Ziegler with 12 points. I think this Tennessee team is legit. Colorado's a solid Pac-12 team with some good young players uh, from K.J. Simpson to Tristan Da Silva. Uh, they have some dudes. Neek Clifford is another guy I like for Colorado as well. Tad Boyle, he's a, an underrated coach, very consistent. So Colorado will be at Thompson Bowling Arena. That is a return game of a home-and-home home that they started last year in Boulder. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching this Tennessee team play up close and personal. They will be Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN against Colorado. But the two main games to watch for in the next week, both come on Friday, Wisconsin and Stanford at Miller Park. That's a big game. I think Wisconsin is a sleeper team in the Big Ten. I think they're better than people think, and it's now or never for Stanford. They have the talent. If they want to make their first NCAA tournament since 2014, this is the year to do it. But Ken Jarrett has to lead them to the promised land. It's going to be interesting if they could somehow take that game on Friday against Wisconsin. It would be a big step forward. You also have, again, Michigan State and Gonzaga. I think Michigan State is better than people think. And considering Gonzaga didn't look great in their preseason exhibition against Tennessee, 
I'll be curious to see if they look any better on Friday night. But after all, that'll do it. It was a great episode, the first episode of College Hoops Daily following the opening night of the college basketball season. And again, I'm Zach Kroll. I'll be taking you guys on this podcast from now until the end of March Madness, talking all things college basketball as the season got underway last night. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And again, you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Z-A-C-K-R-U-L-L-L underscore. If you want to follow me on the gram, Z-A-C underscore K-R-U-L-L. I just love talking college hoops with you guys, and it's going to be something we're going to be doing from now until the end of the season. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed opening night of college basketball, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good one.